Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I am your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I had to help my wife clean out the snake cages, so I'm a little tired. That sounds like a daunting task. She has something like 30 snakes? Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> uh, well, today we might... Maybe there are questions I might get into some snakes. Who knows? Uh, but really, you, do, you selected them. I, I do know that's true. Uh, but there aren't any. There are not any. You got to ruin the mystique. Come on. Yes, man. that's what we do here. We we ruin the mystique. We do. We, it, we here's the mystique. People are writing the letter. Here's my lore question. I won't tell you for the mystique. <laughs> no, that's what I do. We ruin the mystique. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, we're going to be answering your questions this week, uh, and thank you very much for sending those in. Uh, you can go ahead and send any questions you have to podcast at blizzardwatch.com or send them to us on our Discord channels. We do have several set aside, one specifically for patron supporters. We like to give them a little bit of a benefit for supporting us in our endeavors uh, and make sure we have a separate channel for them, which we do look to first. But we do have one for non-patrons. We understand that not everybody can afford to support us in that way, uh, so we do look there as well. And if you can't afford to, to you know, check us out on Patreon, uh, also consider checking us out on Spotify. The more plays that you give us on our podcast there, the better we are. So you can do that now. Uh, we're not going to do the faux uh, excitement thing, but yes, you can listen to us there, which we would greatly appreciate. Right. There we go. All Bye. right. <laughs> our first question uh this is going to be coming from gino from Daggerspire. uh question for Lorewatch: the general assumption is that the lantern was what sylvanas got out of the deal with helia but something that was brought up on the show got me thinking boamsamdi was compared to odin and how they interfered with souls going to the shadowlands what if the lantern was not the thing that sylvanas gained but rather her contractual ooh, contractual obligation to take ayer out of the question or perhaps it was that she got out of the deal, but she was taking Ayer out of the picture like she was trying to do with Wamsamdi. Whatever reason that may be, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the possibility. And thank you for the great podcast. I look forward to every week. That is actually an interesting possibility that maybe that was her end of the bargain was not enslaving the Valkyr, but taking Ayer out of the picture so that lighter Valkyr couldn't be created more for Odin. What do you think? You you're you, I mean, you spent more time with Grandpa Firebeard than I have. I think it's it's certainly a possibility. I mean, it seems clear that she was attempting to enslave Ayer. That's what she was trying to do with the lantern. Uh, it seems pretty. She even says as much uh, when she's doing it. But you know, what's the old saying from if you drama? It can do two things. I mean, you know, <laughs> if if you enslave Ayer, you've taken her away from Odin, he doesn't have any Valkyr anymore. Although, he made Ayer, so he could make another one. He could, you yeah. Know, he could elevate fact, somebody else to that position. Yeah, yeah. He made he made Helya a Valkyr. I mean, he still has the capacity to do it. They gave it to him. It would be an inconvenience for him. Uh, it would t take him time to replace her. But, it, I mean, clearly, you know, when you go into uh, you go into the, to, to the raid, uh, I want to call it Halls of Valor, I think it's called that. When you go into the raid, he's got Hersha right there waiting in the wings to be the next Ayer. It wouldn't even, it would have taken him maybe five minutes. Uh, so I don't think it's as simple as, 
I don't think that she was told, you know, hey, go take Ayer out for us. I don't think that Ayer is important enough. But do you think it might have been something with, like, maybe binding that power? Because there seems to be, like, a theme with that, too. Maybe not necessarily in her service uh, or using it, which, I mean, it could be. Obviously, she said something along the lines. If you're doing that, you have to go after Odin. If you want to take the power, you have to take it out of Odin because Odin still has it. Odin can do can make another one anytime he wants. So that's the reason that I don't think this is the case. It's just because Ayer is important in that she's the head of the Valkyr, but she's the head of Odin's Valkyr. Odin can make a new Ayer if he needs to. He still has in fact, Ayer is literally the replacement for Helya. When Helya broke away and started her own group and banished them, he, she trapped the Halls of Valor in another, you know, po- uh, in a pocket dimension for for you know, thousands of years now. He just made a new one. So that's why I don't think Ayer is that important. I don't think taking Ayer out of the picture does anything. It's not. I, I certainly think it might be the kind of thing Helya would do out of pure spite. Yeah, I could definitely see that. You know, because she is a spiteful person, and that I, I'm not saying she's wrong to be. Um, if I were, hell yeah, I'd, I'd significantly have some spite to vent. And I think if Sylvanas had her own Valkyr, it would go a ways towards getting her in the direction they wanted for her anyway. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. she, she, the whole time, she's wanted to do that. That was her... It was kind of the price of admission for a while up until, the, you know, it's actually interesting if you do talk to, if you, if you were Horde loyal to, to Sylvanas at the end of this expansion, when, when she finally goes too far and loses the Horde, she says to you, you know, I did care. I cared about my people. I wanted to help them. And I guess that's not going to happen. Like you, you, there's a kind of res- resignation to it. You know, she, she, she was trying in her own way to do what she thought was best to, in it, it's, I don't know exactly what she thought she was doing, but there's a sensation that she felt like, well, you know, this whole thing is a ridiculous travesty. Anyway, being undead is actually better because it removes you from this ridiculous cycle of things where you, you're effectively trapped in an otherworldly existence where you're, you're an anima battery or what have you. Oh yeah. 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 Didn't even think and, of that. In, by being undead, you're now you don't have to go there anymore. You don't have to leave this world. You're you're free. So I don't know. I don't know what she was thinking about. I don't think Ayer is important enough to to have been the show, for lack of a better word. But I do think it's interesting to point this out because we we have always been thinking the lantern was particularly important. It might not have been. Yeah, it could have just been yeah. a thing, right? Like it just but, happened you know, to be the tool at the moment. Yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, that's something to think about. I just don't think Ayer is that important. It's it's Odin you need to stop. And getting rid of Ayer or corrupting Ayer wouldn't stop Odin even a moment. Like like I said, he's got Hersher waiting. He's got he makes Valkyr all the time. Uh, he could make a new one. So yeah, that's, or that's was, why I'm not 100 on this. Yeah, or do we think that it might have been a way to see? And I guess this is this is the weird question because it is the one piece that seems a little bit out of place, at least to me. Uh, just because, like, yeah, it could be the whole enslaving thing, but what if the end goal was Odin? 
uh, to sort of circumvent it because there is, as as Gino points out here, or Geno, uh, you know, we have this whole thing where in the latest book in Shadows Rising, her mission for Nathanos is to take Bwamsamdi out. And it's because he's, you know, siphoning souls off. He's he's opposition. He is uh, competition for the deal that she's struck. But so is Odin in that exact same way. So is there a reason why maybe she didn't go directly after Odin? Or is there a reason that, and I guess from well, a certain perspective, we, but in a certain she, perspective, I guess we did, right? I'm not sure if I follow. We didn't. We've never gone after Odin. No, but we went into the Halls of Valor, uh, or the Trials of Valor, whatever the the dungeon was. We beat up his new perspective uh, resurrector. We killed uh, t- the two that were being used to make her. Uh, we don't. We don't kill them. Well, we we took them out of their physical form, and then they go into. We, oh, we kill them oh, you're talking over. the five man. Yeah, Th- that one's not. That one wasn't a new perspective. It was just another Valkyr. It was the latest Valkyr. That's all it was. No. Okay. No, we are we aren't even an inconvenience to Odin at any point in that expansion. In fact, he, we are his Pokemon. Like I've said a hundred times, I'm not even kidding about this. We're continuously being tested to see if we're worthy. There's no point where we do anything to Odin that Odin didn't want to have happen. Hmm. Like it just does not happen at any point in that expansion. Um, and at the end of it all when we go down into Helia's realm and, and supposedly kill her and free Odin from her curse, he even says, you know, maybe I'll go visit Alduar. And that's the last we hear of or see Odin. And then like at the end of, of battle for Azeroth, when we're contacting the various Titan facilities, uh, we contact Alduar and Mimiron shuts off the connection immediately. Yep. Um, and we don't know why he did that. Because we've talked to to Mimiron several times. Yeah, and, and uh, as a matter of fact, in Legion, he's the one that helped us uh, with Hadi. Yeah, but I mean, even after that, we've spoken to to him. Um, he's not just that one. There's a, there's quite a few interactions with with uh, Mimiron. It's like, why is he suddenly just shutting off the connection without even, not even so much as a why are you contacting us? Mm-hmm. Like he that was very clearly coming from some Titan facility, and he just goes boop, shuts it off. That's that interested me when it happened, and we don't hear any more about it. We don't, you know, because he's, you know, Magni is just so he's so useful and on the ball. Magni's like, I guess he's annoyed with us for disturbing his work. It's like, dude, it's kind of important. Call him back. Tell him we got Rod in here. We need to talk to him. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what Odin is doing right now, but I definitely think the reason that Sylvanas didn't go after Odin is because she couldn't get to him. Like, straight up, she couldn't... Who could she send? She couldn't even get into the Halls of Valor. For a while, nobody could get into the Halls of Valor. Every time we go to the Halls of Valor, it's because he lets us go there. So... With him free, though, does that give the opportunity? Do we think that maybe a play could be made there as well? Or do we think he's just kind of stopped making Valkyr for right now? Uh, I am less worried about us making a play against him than him coming after us. Straight up. I think if Sylvanas tried to mess with him, it would be go bad for her. For all that she was powerful enough to fight the Lich King, I don't think she wants to take on Odin yet. I don't think that is a nut you want to try and crack. Um, there was a period of time where Odin was host to the raw power of a, of a, of a Titan. Like, Remember the Titan's essences mm-hmm. were inside? And we never figured out how they ended up 
in old, you know, in Antares. We don't know what, how they went from inside various Titan forged to inside Antares. Like, is that what Sargeras was doing? Like when he was in Northrend, was he collecting like Titans? Like what's, what's going on there? The avatar of Sargeras, when it was in, in Northrend, it could have been doing two things again. You know, it could be two things. It keeps yep. popping up. Or, or is that why some of the, the Legion was, you know, rooting around where they were rooting around? Because there's definitely some very, very interesting points where the Legion was going that didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense at, at you know, certain points in time. So, I mean, and we know we know Rodin at one point also had some of uh, Amanthal's essence in him. Uh, there's, I don't know. I don't know if if you could go after Odin right now. Um, I don't know if you'd have to. I, th- there's a lot to that ability. I honestly feel like Odin in some ways might actually be neutralized by himself already because Odin is the one who had to make a deal. Bon Samdi, his powers seem to come from his nature, his essence. He is what he is. Odin had to make a deal. Yeah. And he traded his eye away. And we don't know what happened to it. We don't know if the you know the jailer or or Muzala or somebody has Odin's eye and can use it to look through and see what he's up to at any given moment. You might not want to kill him. He might be a really good reconnaissance tool. That's the thing that's been bothering me ever since I first read that thing all those years ago. It's like, what do you get out of having you know what? Why are you making this deal? Well, how does it benefit you other than? what to create instability like is there's is there more to it is that i important in some way we know that supposedly the jailer has designs on azeroth's world soul if you want the world soul a good way a good thing to have is is intelligence on it azeroth's prime designate is a pretty big deal if you want to be getting intelligence on what the titans were doing yeah you know and that's what odin is odin is the prime designate now that he's free from the Halls of Valor, now that he can actually go to Azeroth, he may have been spending this time reclaiming his position, going to all those Titan facilities that he could get to up in up in Ulduar, and re- reassigning himself as Prime Designate again. You know, because because Oloken had, tr- had tricked the computers into thinking he was Prime Designate. So there's a lot we don't know yet. There's a lot of interesting things that we might be coming out of the Shadowlands and having to deal with. But I will say this, this is an interesting idea, this, this idea about like, you know, what the, the specific phrasing, what if the lantern was not the thing that Sylvanas gained, but rather her contractual obligation to take air out of the equation. I don't think air is the issue, but think about what it might mean if the lantern wasn't what she was trading for. That then begs the question, what, what was she trading for? I yes, mean, I know that's not actually how begs the question works. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I was going to say, like, a lot of people have been positing that it was the power that she started displaying shortly thereafter because we started seeing her sort of power creep a little bit more. After yeah, but I don't. Power creep is pretty sustainable by the concept that she's the person who's acting as the intermediary for the jailer. Oh, yeah. That. That's so you don't have to. What if it's the actual the bargain struck is that deal she, up till that point? She hadn't actually made a deal with the jailer yet, but that became the point where she yeah. did, right? Like, like if, if if you connect up the fact that it's the Valkyr who who bring her back on top, you know, at Ice Crown Citadel, 
It's the Valkyr who who bring her back from death when she throws herself off. And then at the beginning of Cataclysm, she gets killed and the Valkyr sacrifice themselves and bring her back again. And it's only after that that she goes to Nor to, to Storm's Storm Storm Stormheim, yeah. Or Stormheim. Stormheim. Yeah. yeah. It's only then she goes to Stormheim, connects up with, with Helia, and does something. And it's after that. After and if you think about it. It's after she loses Ayer. It's when the, 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 the hourglass is shattered that she seems resigned to her fate. Like, you know, all right, you wouldn't let me do this the simple way. We're going to do this the hard way then. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's quite possible that she came into this bit by bit. That yeah. she didn't, like, immediately meet the jailer and, like, make a deal with him all the way back, but that she's been, you know, trying to come up with, and, with a way around it this whole time and just has not done so. And it makes the, the most amount of sense that it would have to be a bit by bit because dealing with who Sylvanas is as a character, right? Like, how cautious she is, how uh, intelligent she is when dealing with things that are threats. And let's be honest, any deal presented to her is going to be viewed as a threat by her. That's just how that's going to go. Uh, so... I think it is like it's a death by uh, death by a million paper cuts. It's the slow transition to the point where she can't, I don't want to say weasel out of it, but she can't really, she doesn't have a way around the direct interaction anymore. And I think you're right. I think that, that, that we, 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 we I can't even talk today. Sorry guys. We witness sort of that turning point, right? We witness sort of that, that moment where she goes, okay, I'm going to have to do that this way. Now, the way that I didn't want to do originally. And I mean, it is an interesting thing to think about. And I mean, I want to thank uh, uh, Gino for that, that question because that's given me more to think about as far as the interaction for uh, Sylvanas. Cause we do, we talk a lot about the deal she made and we do, we, we comment that we don't know exactly what it was a lot, but this is starting to add some more angles to it that maybe I don't think we viewed, or at least in my particular case, didn't consider quite, uh, as quickly as some of the others. So thank you very much for that question. Our next one comes from uh, Arulian. Uh, question for either podcast. Well, I stole it for mine. Ha 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 ha. Hello, watchers. With all of the discussion about the different Shadowlands and Sylvanas being a major player going forward in the expansion, there's something I've been wondering about. Which Shadowland would Sylvanas have gone to if she hadn't been raised by Frostmourne? Bastion. You honestly, you think she'd be in Bastion? She lived and died in service to her people. You don't think she displayed enough pride or anything else to, to warrant another another place? You don't think that she would have been? Because I could have I seen mean, her in Maldraxxus, personally. No, Maldraxxus is a crap place. Maldraxxus is where you go where you don't do anything for the right reasons. I'll just say that right now. It's where you end up when you didn't quite pull it out. And that's why it's a good place for, for Draka to have gone. Because for all her strength of will, Draka didn't actually step up and fight. What about Morgrain? Um, Morgrain, again, you know, he stepped up and fought, but he fought in the service of an evil monster. Like, the, look at the Scarlet Crusade. He was a part of the Scarlet Crusade. And they started off trying to do the right thing, but they went bad real fast. And they went bad because they let a demon control them. Uh, Mograine had a lot going for him as a, as a physical power, but he didn't really serve his people. See, and that's the thing. 
it's the service to something greater than yourself that makes Bastion the place you end up. Um, and it's the reason that it's the difference between Maldraxxus and Bastion. Maldraxxus is about will, but it's, they're looking for people with the will to fight who they can make into weapons. They're not looking for people who sacrificed everything for something else. Because in a way, somebody who sacrifices everything for something else is not... What's the old saying from Patton? I don't want you to die for your country. I want you to kill that guy over there who's going to die for his country. That's Maldraxxus. They don't want people who will, put, who will lay down their lives for others. They want people who will make other people lay down their lives. And Bastion is, no, we do want the people who will lay down their lives. We want the people who serve. We want, you know, that's their their focus. That's their goal. Yes. That's the difference between the two. The two. I, I'm not saying that Sylvanas didn't have pride or ambition, but when you look at her life, her sisters were like, you know, Alaria was like, no, I want vengeance. And Farisa was like, I just want to be myself. And Sylvanas is the one who, t who said, okay, mother. I will pick up the burden you're putting down. I will lead the the, the uh, far striders. I will be the ranger general. She wasn't the one who was supposed to do it. She was the one who did it. She was the one who put down her life and picked up the one that was needed to be to be led. She's the one who laid down her life in service to her people. Now she, you could make a case from other axis, absolutely. You could make a case for Revendreth, although really that's after she died. The Sylvanas who died fighting Arthas showed only enough pride to say, no, I'm worth more than this. You can't just come in here and tell me what to do. I gave away everything for the, for our people. I get to have this one little thing. I get to have this, this dalliance with this human is my one thing that I get to have for me. Uh, it's not enough, in my opinion, to send you to Revendreth. Now, yeah, I, after I she dies, after she dies, is a whole different story. But the, but the Sylvanas who died fighting Arthas, Bastion. Yeah, and see, and I could see the case for Bastion, but I can also see the case for Maldraxxus because I could see her, if given that choice, not letting go of the ability to fight. Because one of the things I think is interesting about Bastion is the Kyrian don't necessarily like go to war. Which I thought was 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 rather interesting. Like it, it, and again, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in Bastion post the initial uh, sort of uh, uh, when you're there, as you're moving through all the realms or your introductions to it. But they've built machines. They have stewards, and then they have people, and then they have the ascended. And the Ascended basically don't look like they're warriors to me. Uh, yes, they do fight at some point when the Moss Warren come, but like that's not their purpose, at least not the way that it's yeah, presented. That's, that's like saying that Uther wasn't a warrior. I'm not saying that Uther wasn't a warrior, but he was. He was a paladin. He he was a he. Ha ha ha! Hoy hoy hoy! You know, no, I'm not. I'm actually not joking. But that, that's the thing. There's a different mindset between I protect and serve and defend, and I a fight. And, you know, we know that Maldraxxus exists because the Shadowlands need an army. But they don't necessarily exist to serve the Shadowlands. I, I keep coming back to this. You can't take Solanus's service away from her. I'm not. See, that's the thing. I'm keen off of it. And I'm I'm going through She's this. She's keen off of it, then she has to go to Bastion. 
I, there's I, no I, other there's no other choice. You can't fi- be a servant finishing of others my th- and go to other axes. Finishing my thoughts, the Shadowlands has proven that yes, you can go other places besides Bastion if you have service if you even in service to others. That is not the only defining feature of her as a character before she died. And if she goes to the Arbiter and the system is working the way that it should and the Arbiter peers into her soul and sees somebody who wants to continue to fight, I could see that being the factor because that's the X factor that we don't know how it works we, because right now the Arbiter is is powered down and not doing anything, not doing their job. We don't know the system with which the Arbiter uses to key off of where somebody has to go. We have vague ideas from all of these different zones, these different lands of the Shadowlands, but we know from their perspective. And even when you're interacting with them, when you show up in those places, it's the, oh, oh somebody showed up from Orbos. The Arbiter sent somebody to us. We haven't had this in forever. They're even saying they don't choose who goes there. The Arbiter does. And it's the question I think comes back to what would the Arbiter see? Is it only this service to people or is it this more complicated person that, yes, her service is to her people, but her entire thing is to protect people, her people, her lands. And I could see that very easily being transitioned to would you like to lead an army again? And. Again, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying I think the case can be made for more than just Bastion with her if that is in place. Now, if it's just, oh, you served people and you were selfless in that uh, and it doesn't matter what else you did, you go to Bastion, yeah. sure. No, here's the thing. It's not that it's that was you – know, there's, there's my problem with what you're saying right there. If you look at each of her sisters and herself, you that's the, the difference. All of them were fighters. All of them are fighters. But if you look at the at the three of them, if you look at the lives they led, it's not that that's the only thing about your personality. It's that that was your priority. Sylvanas made the choice that the other two didn't. When given that option, she chose to do that. That's why I'm saying the Bastion. Now, like, you know, sure, you know, we'll never know because she was raised by Frostmourne. Yeah. She was killed by Frostmourne. Yep. So if she'd gone to Bastion, she might have had a great big honking scar on her soul like Uther did. Uh, and we might still, in fact, be seeing Sylvanas pop up in multiple places. Um, here's the thing. I just did... Uh, I, I, I've been playing my Paladin. I just... I have my my uh, my current Paladin. I have my my level fifty paladin, but I also have my my. I think she he hit level forty two or forty three today, and I was leveling him in Legion. And you go to get, uh, I can't remember the name of the sword you just mentioned, Ashbringer. You go to get Ashbringer, and they they say first we're going to go to Uther's tomb and we're going to commune with him, and you commune with him, and there's Uther, and he has a conversation with you. And he's talking to, to Maxwell Tyrosius, you know, and he's like, you know, yes, I remember. It's like sitting there going, okay, are you related to the Uther who's in the sword in ICC that we, we, we saw when we did all that stuff? Was that the same? Are you that Uther or are you the one that's in, in Shadowlands right now learning to give up his past? Who are you? Mm-hmm. How are we talking to you? 
is that because of the sword? Did the sword pull you into like little pieces, or what's the deal, Uther? Ghost? Like, are you what? Are are you just some phantasm of Uther we're seeing? Did the light make a version of Uther for us to talk to? I do. What's happening yeah, right I, now? And I often wondered about that too. If the light was making like, uh, I hate to say a light puppet, but like using its interactions with Uther to make a simulacrum for us to interact with. Because I don't know. Weird. I don't know. All I know is if that could have happened to him, maybe it would have happened to her too. Maybe there'd be like 50 Sylvanases running around. I don't know. Uh, but it's not that you couldn't make a case for, for her to end up pretty much anywhere except maybe Ardenweald. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think she's going to wind up in Ardenweald. Not seeing a lot of Ardenweald there, but I don't even she, think, was, like, she, she was head of the Forest Riders, so she kind of understands the natural world a little. Yeah, but I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't exactly put her. I think the only two that hold any water really are Maldraxxus or Bastion. Like, I don't think she was prideful enough to to wind up in Revendreth before, before her first death. Before she gets killed by Arthas, Revendreth is right out. She's she is she. I agree. Does she have a little pride? Yes, she's proud enough to tell the to tell um, Sun Prince there. Having a hard time with the names today. Come on, you know him. Kalthas? Yeah, she's proud enough to tell Kalthas <laughs> to pound sand when when he he gets in the way of her and yeah. Thanos. Oh, absolutely. But that's it. And that's because she knew her worth. It wasn't like she didn't go around constantly going, I'm you know, I'm the Ranger General, I'm in charge, I'm super great. She would just no, I, I decide who gets to be in the Forest Riders, not you. That's not your role, little prince. You go do your job and let me do mine. And before she died, I, I I would give it to Bastion. That's where I would say, looking at her, looking at the life she led versus Alaria. Alaria gave up everything for vengeance and war. Alaria yeah. said, no, I won't be the Ranger General. I won't serve my people in the aftermath of this. I want vengeance, and I'm going to get it. See, in her, I could see, I could see her winding up in Revendreth for that. Revendreth or Maldraxxus. Because she's the one that went to go fight the war, the war that you know the rest of the of the the high elves didn't want to fight. She went and she fought it anyway, and she went to another planet to fight it, and then she took that war to like an you know she just kept going. So yeah, her and Maldraxxus absolutely makes sense. Uh, Verisa, it's kind of hard to tell with Verisa because she's got a lot going on. I, I would say um, that Verisa, because everything she does is motivated by, motivated by selfless intent. I think she's the one that would go to Bastion and Bastion alone. Oh, hell no. No, selfless intent? No, dude. She tried to assassinate somebody because they killed her husband. There's absolutely selfless intent. Well, nope. Yeah, yeah, Self, yeah. Very much selfish intent with Verisa. It's not that she's a bad person. She's not evil, but she tried to assassinate her husband's murderer. She, she's pretty much focused on her, staying with her two kids. Uh, no, Verisa is a selfish person, and that's fine. You know, she's a lot of us are selfish. I, that, if somebody hurt my wife, oh hell yeah, vengeance, you know, reprisal. But nevertheless, that's not Bastion. She is not in service to a greater idea. Fair, fair enough. She did not, not that she was ever asked. It's fair to point out that when the Ranger General question came up, they went to Illyria, Illyria said no. So the next person was was Sylvanas. Sylvanas was the next in line. It's not like Sylvanas then said no, and then Verisa had to do it. Verisa was considered young at the time. Like by, of. Yeah, she was the baby. 
of the Windrunners, she was considered the youngest, and she wasn't. They weren't likely to ask her. She was considered respected. They trust. They knew she was a good, uh, you know, far strider, but they weren't likely to ask her to lead the whole thing. Uh, so yeah, I I would say for my take for Savas is is Bastion, but I I accept that there is a possibility for Maldraxxus again because we can't see one way or the other. This is again. I, I really do feel like it needs to be said. This is when she died. Yes, we're talking about we're talking about when she died, not when she was raised, and that's that is the framing of the question. So it, it is. Uh, I want to thank our, our our listener for that question because uh, uh, really, and that is an interesting perspective and question to ask now, especially as we're starting to learn more about the Shadowlands. So thank you very much for that. Joe well, and I haven't really fought in a bit. So. Yeah, it's been a while since we've disagreed on on something. So there you go. You guys are welcome. Uh, our next question. Uh, greetings, watchers of compressed water vapor precipitated by colliding temperatures. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Azeroth's Titan soul would look like? I have seen beautiful fan art that looks like a, a troll or a night elf, but I do not think that they are accurate based on pre-existing uh, humans are order, orderly like trope. Uh Titans we have seen, but Azroth's blood does make things turn all night elfy. So I would like to hear your opinions. Love you guys in the show. Iro, night elf warrior on Muradin. I've often maintained that like a Titan soul is not necessarily the Titan physical representation of what they look like when they're fully formed, because essentially when they're fully formed from what we've seen, they all look relatively similar. They're, Bipedal humanoid, vaguely, you know, human-ish uh, figures with some aspect of themselves, like their domain, uh, woven into the fabric of their being, right? Like, y- you look at uh, A&R. Uh, just say one thing before you continue. Go ahead. Are we sure we've ever actually seen the Titan? Like we, we we've seen yeah, representations of them. I mean, the ones we saw at the Pantheon, the, the Hall of Pantheon, weren't like representations that, the, you know, there's an old saying from, from a comic book. This it's a JLA versus Avengers. At one point, multiple earths are being jammed together by cosmic forces. And Iron Man looks down at it and goes, I can't be seeing this. And Superman responds, you're not this. This is not what's actually happening. It's just your mind trying to give it to you in a way you can understand it. It's real, but it, no, it doesn't. No, you're not actually seeing it. Because if you were, the, the giant hands would be crushing the planet. I, I relax, because I'm used to this. And I, you know, I always want Iron Man to turn Superman and go, "F you, man! <laughs> Big hands smashing planets together." But that—that's the thing I always think of when I when we see Titans. I mean, there's a giant cloud over Azeroth, and then all of a sudden, there's Sargeras getting yanked out of it. Yeah. Is that actually happening? I mean, he left a big sword in the planet. Uh, It's kind of hard to doubt it, but at the same time, is that, that's not what he looked like before. Why does he look like that now? Why isn't it what he's looked like in every other representation of him we've seen? And we saw the avatar of Sargeras. It didn't look like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I I often find myself wondering if any image of the Titans we've ever seen, including like when we saw them after we, you know, saved them and, and they, you know, Agrimar's giant form and all that. Is that them? I don't know the answer to that question. So 
the point that I was going to get to was that I think that they can take whatever form they deem necessary or at least present themselves to our our sort of uh, reconcil- like our reconcilable like visual uh, input however they want to or however they seem deem fit at that particular moment. Uh, there's a, a thing that we talk about with when you talk about like gibbering horrors of like the outer nights and, and things like that where our brains can't actually fathom uh, exactly what they really look like, but it does the best to approximate it uh, in terms that we can understand. And there's entirely the possibility that that's the case. I think, though, the root of the question is what would Azeroth's Titan soul look like? I think the soul is different than what you're talking about as far as the physical representation. And Yeah, um, one thing to also point out, we have seen a nascent world soul we have and that's when we did in a thousand years of war they they described the green sun within the, the world of argus it's the corrupted titan soul the titan soul just looks like an amorphous ball of pure power and i think we've seen Azer- azeroths before and i posited this a long long time ago uh, when we first started hearing the corrupted whispers of of Ilganoth and and all these other entities that started talking about drowning in a circle of stars, and when we went to the different various planes of, of elemental existence uh, in Cataclysm, and in particular, you go to Deep Home and you look up you see a circle of stars. When you were a shaman going to the heart of the world, you saw a circle of stars. When we were in Antorus going into the room where the Titans were being tortured by the uh, Shivari, uh, what do you see? You see amalgamations like this amorphous power, but at the center of it are circles of stars. I think that has something to do with it. I think that's why you know, we, that, that was such an important thing. Uh, and I think it goes back to, I think what Matt was saying earlier, where that might be the core of them. That might be, uh, what they, they sort of best representation of the soul is for those Titans. But then when you start, and it goes along with Antorus where we, we start seeing, uh, you know, the, the, the nascent soul where it's, Hey, you know, this intense green sun. Well, yeah, if it's at full power, maybe that's what it looks like. But every Titan soul we might have seen at this point is weakened or under siege or uh, attempting to be stripped of its, you know, intelligence or, or or reasoning in order to make it something more akin to what Sargeras wants it to be, uh, to recraft his family. And I've been thinking about that a lot, and I think that's what it is because uh, – Last night I rewatched the movie Onward, and there was this interesting part of it where, uh, towards the end, a curse is born, and at the center of the curse is like this amorphous energy that then pulls all these things around it to form a shell to give it form. And I thought that, that was an, a very good analogy for how I think Titans actually work. I don't think, and going back to, to something that like Matt said earlier, we don't know what happened to their souls. We don't know what happened after they slammed into their watchers or how they did that or what happened there. It's probably because, again, they don't necessarily have a form. When you slay one, you're not slaying necessarily their soul. You're slaying the shell that it that it's sort of encased around it and that lets Sargeras maybe take their souls or their souls escape into their watchers and then get pushed into somewhere else because Titans are basically just energy. 
I think that's the case. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you, but do you have anything else to add on that one? Well, I mean, first off, the question is actually is obviously actually asking what would Azeroth look like if it if she off. formed a shell, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and we know that when they came to Azeroth, they created the Titanic Watchers and the Titan Forged because they it was effectively the equivalent of like performing surgery with microscopic tools. Um, and we know that Amonthul in his physical form was so massive that he could barely interact with stuff happening on the scale. You know, he reached down with, with like two fingers and plucked Yashaj out. Like you would probably try to rip out something inside. Like, Oh, look, you got a splinter there. Oh, geez. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's how that went. Mm -hmm. So their actual bodies seem to be planetary scale. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about what that means for what Azeroth would look like, we don't know that they actually take physical form. And in the way that like we always see them represented as as golden or bronze or whatever godlike figures, but it's quite possible that left to their own devices, the Titans are just planets. Like they're they don't just, they're just ego. <laughs> Maybe not even that. Ego grows a giant face for no discernible reason other than to be weird. Uh, um, but in all sincerity, they might just be a planet that's got a it's it's alive. You know, it formed that shell around itself. It comes to consciousness. It's a being. Why does it need to change its body? What does it need hands for? What does it need feet for? You know, like maybe it can grow them if it needs them for something. But what does it need them for? Nine times out of ten, you know. Uh, I would have used Mogo, by the way, because I'm cooler than you. Um, that's my Green Lantern planet reference <laughs> because you went with ego. Ew. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm being a dick here. But in all sincerity, we, you know, Azeroth's form might be Azeroth. Yeah, because one you know, of the questions we've asked a long time ago is what happens, and you, you guys at home have asked this multiple times, what happens to the entities that live on the uh, the Titan when the Titan wakes up? The answer might be nothing. The answer might be that the planet still exists. Uh, for the the scale of power that we're dealing with the Titans, it's entirely possible that their planets are still where they originally were. Like, at one point in time, we talked about if they were eggs that would hatch. Uh, like, you know, the Doctor Who episode with the moon. But what if they don't? What if they just project themselves? What if they can just project their energy across the cosmos uh, and do what they need to do and have that sort of effect, uh, but don't actually have to go anywhere. Don't actually have to, to to reform. Or for that matter, what if they go places? Yeah. Like what? What if at some sure. point entirely possible? You know, it, at some point, Amethul may have been floating in the sky above Azeroth. And that could be you part know? of like we go back with the uh, the white lady and the blue child. Uh, it, you know, like the blue child disappeared for a while with the story behind it. You know, obviously it was an in-game bug that then you know, story uh, sort of informed that it was sent away to go learn. Well, what if the planets could actually do that? What if Titans or sentient planets could actually do that? Yeah. What if there were just a whole bunch of uh, planets ringing around Azeroth going, hey, wake up, little sister. You know, like, it's entirely possible. It's entirely, it's also entirely probable that something like that would happen. I mean, ultimately, we've got images of Sargeras chopping a planet open with his giant sword. Um and we saw Sargeras use a sword. So it's quite possible that maybe they do have like a physical body that looks like a, 
gigantic humanoid. Um, but that might just be since that form was pulled inside the seat of the Pantheon by the others and shrunk down so that Illidan could beat on it for a while. It's quite possible. That's just a projection of Sargeras. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, his mind. And there might be a planet out there somewhere that is Sargeras or, you know, you know, we don't know. There's, which is he may, have, he may have formed the prison plane out of his own body. I, I find that in, fascinating too, because it could be an explanation of how the Avatar worked to begin with. He just happened to be the first one to figure out how to make himself small enough, right? or, to, or to put himself inside a body, or, or compartmentalize himself enough, right? Like, There's lots of different possibilities here. In terms of though, what what you really want to hear from us is you want to hear what cool thing we think the world would look like. And maybe you want to hear Joe and I argue about whether it would be a troll or a night elf. Um, I don't know, because I don't know at this point if trolls are native to Azeroth or not. Yeah, because we still have an answer to that. We don't have an answer for that question, although they there's did. Enough, there's enough of those constructs uh, in Nazmir, which we have to remember, Nazmir is the original place that the, the Zandalari lived before they moved to Zoldazar. Mm-hmm. Um, there's enough of those constructs that, that look vaguely trollish, although they don't have the tusks. And I'm always reminded of the fact that people talk about the fact that the night elves are supposedly descended from trolls. Don't talk to night elves about that. They don't like it. But if that's true, if the night elves are descended from trolls, it's the biggest, most feral looking trolls imaginable. The night trolls didn't look like other trolls. They were different. They were unique. They were creepy. And it's interesting to me that, that those are the guys who got turned into like night elves by the yeah. well of eternity. Yeah. So there's a lot to think about in terms of this. I, I do get your point though, about how the blood of Azeroth does seem to make things look like night elves, but I will pause it with a counter. Cthulhu had two Akir servants, the, the twin emperors. The twin emperors were using night elf skeletons. Yep. I mean, they did that. It, obviously, when they did that, they were just doing it to give them a good body to run around in. But nevertheless, it's worth considering. Why did they look like night elves? Remember, the Akira had been fighting the night elves. Like, specifically, the Karaji were fighting the night elves. Why? And, and before that, they were fighting the trolls. The Akira Troll War pushed both groups back to almost the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it devastated the Akir and created the Karaji and the Nerubians and the Mantid, and it broke up the, the Zandalari's troll empire and created pocket empires all over the place, which left the them weak that when the Night Elves rose up, the Night Elves were able to push them aside pretty easily. Why? Like, why would they then make a Night Elf-looking thing? And if you look at the Zandalar, the Zandalar and the Night Elves have a lot in common. <laughs> Like they stand pretty much the same way. They're very similar. So I think it probably would be something trollish or elfish or some combination of the two. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have much to offer because I think that those are two, the two most likely forms that we would see. I mean, I'd rather it was a corn, but you know, no, no one listens to me. I mean, I'd rather it was something like a Mogu because I think that would be yeah. far more interesting. <laughs> yeah, but Mogu are crafted. They're titan forged. They are. So it feels weird that Azeroth didn't make them. It, it, they were made by the other titans to help save Azeroth. I, I do think that it's weird that Mogu and humans and dwarves and gnomes and Tolvir are all 
it is essentially descended from the same things. Uh, that's always fascinated me. But there's a lot that we could talk about there, but we're going to move on to our next one. But thank you very much for that uh, that question, Iro, and I look forward to your tea in the future. Uh, our next question comes from our friend Ryan Blade. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Why did Sylvanas destroy the Helm of Domination instead of using it for its original purpose since she got possession of it? Is it so irreversibly changed that doing the latter is no longer possible? Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, we don't know what reforging it could look like, but the pieces are still incredibly powerful to the point where we use it in Shadowlands to command souls to, to subjugate them uh, and get them to do what we need them to do. Uh, but the question of why did she not, or why did she destroy it instead of uh, keeping hold of it? That is a very good question that we've talked about slightly and it was if this is we, we uh, what was it we talked about a couple weeks ago like could this be part of her plan uh, we got a question where like if it was there was yeah the question was basically there's there's lines inside the art book yeah that basically speculate that they they come out and say that the helm of domination was created to allow the jailer to initiate whatever his plan is but it was supposed to be the the way path to our freedom not now this usurper king uses it against us and so it was clear that from the beginning, Sylvanas was supposed to get the Helm of Domination. It's not clear whether she was supposed to destroy it or not. Now, I personally just think she looked at it and said, this hat is freaking ugly. I'm not putting this on my head. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I just got these new cosmetic <laughs> options. Look at me. I'm definitely not wearing a big, ugly hat and covering my head entirely. That's crazy. Of course, Volvar wants to cover his head. Look at it. It looks like hamburger. He looks like burned hamburger. Of course, he wants to wear a hat. I am not wearing this hat. And so she broke it. Uh, because it was ugly. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I honestly, there's interesting thoughts. Like Joe's point about the reforging it is interesting. There's an interesting point about the fact of is it safe to wear? Because like, we we know that people that put it on that part part of it part of the intention was that it would subjugate whoever was wearing it too. At least that's yeah, the but assumption. You'll notice it seems like in the past usage. I honestly think that it was a really bad idea to let. Um, Oh, bloody heck. I'm yet again the name I cannot remember. <sighs> Not Gul'dan, but Ner'zhul. Ner'zhul. Letting Ner'zhul have it first means that other people have had to basically contend with... People have had to contend with the previous wearer when they put it on. Usually those people were killed or disembodied. So it, it's like when Arthas put it on, Ner'zhul's spirit was living inside it. I don't know what happened when, when Bolvar put it on. Arthas had just died. It's pretty clear that Arthas is still was still hanging around at least in part, because when we go into Frostmourne's remains, the, he's in there along with a, a fragment of Nerzul. Mm -hmm. Is would she have had to basically? Did he have to contend with like Arthas's personality, and would she have had to contend with Bolvar's? Like, would she have had to fight a battle of wills to use the helmet? Like, was destroying it just the easier way to get at its power? Like, I need to get the power of this thing. I don't need the hat. I need the power inside the hat. Yeah, and one of the... So it's possible she just destroyed the hat to avoid having to, like, do the whole Battle of Wills thing. Because it took Arthas, like, a what? Like, multiple years on top of Ice Round before yeah. he could actually start acting? Oh, yeah. And Bolvar's been sitting there with it for a while, too. So, I don't know. It's quite possible that she just destroyed it because that's what they wanted her to do. But it's also possible she destroyed it because it wasn't what they wanted her to do. 
The yeah, and that I think that's one of the things that I, I know people want to hear, but it, I think it is something that could potentially be the case. Uh, again, we don't know what her plan is, but Sylvanas doesn't exactly seem like somebody who would bow down to a higher power at this point. Not anymore. Uh, I don't think she would actively allow herself to be subjugated at this point anymore. Uh, so the question then becomes, is this part of her grander scheme? And I think that's really the root of the, the this type of questioning is, was there a reason that she destroyed it? And I think part of it is, so I've been, I've been, Going through a lot of the old classic fairy tale stuff, a lot of things that deal with like the Fae and the fairy courts. And one of the things that is very, very, very present in all of them is anytime you make a deal with somebody in one of those courts, uh, they will take it very literally, which gives them sort of latitude to work around the bargain in a way that suits their needs while still fulfilling the verbiage of the bargain to the letter of what is spoken or written. It is entirely possible that that is also something that Sylvanas is doing. If the deal was just use the helm to break open the barrier between worlds, well, she figures out she can destroy the helm and still accomplish what she promised she would do, then she can hold to her word, but still maybe put something else of her plan in motion. Right. Anything she does serves her. The question is how. So I know that a lot of people out there have been positing that maybe this is part of her grander scheme to continue her war against the whole cycle of life and death and maybe leaving those pieces behind for us to get our hands on is part of that intent. And maybe it is. Maybe that was part of her grand plan. Maybe part of her grand plan is that we will ultimately usurp uh, or destroy the jailer, freeing her from her bargain. And maybe that's part of the grand scheme of how she was going to solve the whole cycle of death. We don't know. But I think that there is some merit to the idea that she destroyed the helm simply because it was a way that let her fulfill the bargain of her contract, which again, she's making deals with things at a cosmic scale that we cannot fathom, uh, without actually breaking any of the terms of that deal because she followed it to the letter while still also finding a way to stick it to the people that are trying to exert control over her. Because again, that is not exactly something that she seems very keen to do. And circling back to something we, we talked about at the top of the hour here, uh, when Matt said, you know, when we were talking about the bargain that maybe it was like these, these degrees of her, you know, making bargain and trying to figure out her way around it, her way around it, her way around it. I don't think that ever stopped. I don't think she ever, you know, just lay down and said, yes, this is my fate now because that's not who she is after her rebirth, uh, as the Banshee queen. She doesn't just sit down and take it anymore. Uh, that's not sort of her, her shtick. And I would actually be very disappointed with her character if it was. Whereas if this is a plan within a plan within a plan, I could at least accept that. Uh, I'm not saying that it makes her a hero or anything like that because she's done some really god-awful things. But I like this idea of there's more to this than we can possibly see right now. And I think potentially that the breaking of the helm plays into that in a very specific manner. And again, she's not a dumb character. I think she knows what's going on to a certain extent uh, and is exerting her will into the scenario versus letting others exert it on her. Uh, anything else before we get to what will probably be our last question? No, I don't think so. 
Okay. Uh, our last question comes from our friend Vertigree. Uh, with the spoilery Night Warrior knowledge from Ardenwell, the last one attempted to share the power, uh, and the presence of Caliomenethil, it seems likely, sometime in the future, the Paladin class will open up to both Night Elves and Undead. If this were true, could you hazard a guess on other likely classes opening up? Is this really a Lore Watch question? It was uh, signified as for Lore Watch, yes. Weird, because it's not really a lore question. It's just what what get what classes are they going to open up? <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it's it's a does the story inform story inf- the, the story informs just about any class combination because they already no... have a night elf paladin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that they can't, we got one in Legion, um, and we technically we've had an undead paladin since Vanilla because Sir Zeliac, and I keep yep. bringing him up. I'm not going to stop. Sir nope. Zeliac is a paladin, guys. He's a paladin, even though he's dead. He's a paladin, even though he's in the Scourge. He's like, oh, don't make me do this, as he hits you with ridiculous amounts of light attacks. Um, so, yeah. Uh, what what other classes? Well, I'd say something about warriors, but we're already in it. Every, every race gets us now. So, yeah, I think that's it. I think we're the only class that everybody gets. Yeah. I, would, I think maybe, so. maybe rogues. No, not rogues. Maybe hunters. Yeah, it might be hunters. Because gnomes, gnomes got hunters now. See, I can't think of anybody who doesn't have hunters. I, I think in context of this, and I think taking it back to the root of it, the way that the story of WoW has evolved so far is that I think you can make a justification for any race being any class at this point. Uh, we know humans are capable of shamanistic feats. Look at the Kaltirans. Uh, we know that they're capable of druidic feats. Again. Look at Kaltirans. Worgen. Look at Worgen. Uh, look at, we know that there's a, a case to be made for almost any race to be any class. And I think that that's fine uh, because we've seen. The only, to- ones, the only ones that I would say it's very hard to make a case for is demon hunters because demon hunters are all from a specific point and you can't. It's not like Death Knights where they've then come back and had the next Lich King make his own Death Knights. Yeah. Like, that's where all the current Death Knights that aren't the original ones have come from. It's the Lich King's like, okay, I'm going to make new ones because bad stuff's coming. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. bad stuff just came. <laughs> wow, I was right. Um, so, Demon Hunters, it's pretty much Night Elves or Blood Elves because they were the specific ones that Illidan had to hand when he made them. Like, he showed them how to become Demon Hunters and there's no, it's not like he, there was anybody else to teach after he got, you know, his whole thing happened and now he's back. But he's he's currently stuck punching Sargeras for a long time, so he's not going to be making any new Demon Hunters anytime soon. Yeah, he's a bit busy. I, you, could, you could theoretically have, like, the established Demon Hunter characters come up with a way to do it if you really wanted to have them. But... That's the only one that I feel like it would be hard to justify anybody else getting them. Uh, but in terms of like any other, like there's a few classes and races that it doesn't make a ton of sense. Like Draenei and Lightforge Draenei, we're not. I'm not going to say that I see warlocks coming in. Yeah, people always want warlocks of those two, and I'm always like, this is like suggesting. You know, hey, have you ever just, have you ever thought about joining the group that that's personally tried to kill you? Hey, remember that time where all of your friends and family decided they were going to join this dark order and uh, burn your planet into crisps? Uh, yeah, you want to join us more? 
Yeah, yeah I don't, so, I don't, it's not going to happen. So that one's a hard sell. But most of the rest, I mean, can you think of anything? Like, I, I can't think of anything that that shamanism wouldn't work with. No, I can't I, I don't think, think of. So a, I can't think of a race that couldn't go shaman. The only the um, only other one that I think would be a hard sell would be goblin paladins because they don't generally have a whole lot of belief. Yeah, uh, and it's very hard to come up with a mercantile way to be a paladin. <laughs> Yeah, because like, like, oh yeah, I'll I'll save you from darkness for a price. That's not good. Yeah, you're right. Dan. And I, and, I, and I think even even like even shaman, I think was a little bit of a stretch for goblin personally. But I I could at least accept it with a grain of salt. Um, with the dark with dark shaman and stuff forth, I can kind of handle it. Cause sure. If if you can have a shaman who works by slapping the the spirits into doing what he wants, you can have a shaman who kind of makes deals. Fair enough. So, but but yeah. I'll be upfront and say that I think shamanism should be the most one much more widespread than it is. I would agree. Um, I don't really get why it's so limited. Uh, most of the horde can do it actually. I think. Um, but I'd, I'd like to see night elf shaman at this point, because I, I mean, their interactions with races like the Furbolg make me think like there's no way there is absolutely no way that at some point uh, there hasn't been uh, an elf shaman of some type. Right, but we don't see any. But story would dictate that there there has to be a possibility of one somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't think there's a lot of races that don't work with shamanism. I don't think I don't think there's any. Like in terms of like priests, everybody has their own kind of priests. Yep. So that's that's I think at this point even even gnomes got priests. So I don't and hunters. I mean, you know, it, get a bow. Go out in the woods, shoot things. I, I you, you congratulations, you're a hunter. I, I don't really feel like that should be a hard sell. Like you know, the the nature, the part where you can tame an animal into being your best friend, even if it's a robot or an undead monster, that's getting into weird magic. But I'm okay with it. I'm okay with gnomes being able to make like robot pets that that they they hunt with. I'm okay with undead being able to get other undead things to hang out with them. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me. And I'm mm -hmm. okay with like other hunters figuring it out. Like, yeah, that's how you get a giant undead bear to follow you. Yeah, it's just that easy. <laughs> okay, whatever. I, I'm okay with it. Uh, for this, for much the same reason that I think uh, mages and, and rogues and all that should go to multiple. Yeah. Right. I, I, ultimately, in terms of story, I would say it's most classes work with just about anybody. Yeah. I, 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 and I think that we're going to – I would hopefully – think we'll see more of that in the future especially after this expansion with all the cross uh, cross pollinization druids druids need to get widened up at this i point. would agree like, absolutely almost no reason that the scenarian circle wouldn't go okay we need more people especially world especially is, this, world is a dumpster, this world's a dumpster fire everything's constantly getting destroyed the planet's leaking its own blood if you want to help you're come on in lucian fox blood come on in yeah we've will, got Kul'tearin druids, we've got Zandalar druids, we don't care anymore. Just join. Just I, join the Scenarian Circle. I have been saying that since Battle for Azeroth. If we're sitting there trying to heal the planet and druids are the best chance at doing that, I would think they would recruit any able-bodied person that shows any modicum of talent for it. 100%. Like that, And that is something that needs to be expanded. 1,000%. I agree with you on that one. Uh, man, Sorry. <laughs> um, the Blood Elf Druids, fine. Get them in here. Yep. We don't care. Yep. They, 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 you want to be your weird uh, arcane animal thing? Sure. Go for it. Absolutely. Let's go. Uh, but 
that's what I would like to see. But I think we'll see more cross pollinization. I think we'll see more uh, class race combinations open up. I think that it will be hindered by class uh, by uh, game mechanics and art uh, as they decide. Because if you look at it, the classes that they've been adding to uh, druidism in particular they get new druid forms, right? They're not just the classic base druid mm-hmm. forms. Yep. So I think that that will be the limiting factor, but I would not be surprised if we start seeing that open up in the future. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for today for us. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, I do, again, want to thank you for joining us and sending us our questions. Please continue to do so. Uh, you can send them again to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. You can send them to us in our Discord channels. Uh, and again, if you want to continue to support us in various different ways, be sure to f- listen to us on Spotify and give us those play numbers because that does actually help. Uh, but thank you very much. We'll see you next week. <laughs>